Many participants forecast that these favorable economic conditions will be met somewhat sooner than previously projected. Hello. In the wild and wonderful world of central banking, the Fed surprised many investors this week by hinting that rate rises could start in 2023, a year earlier than expected. The chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, who you heard just now, also talked of increased uncertainty around inflation, which itself is a notable change to the view that he had previously set out. I'm Richard Edgar, and to hear how this change of language is playing into investors' thinking, I'm speaking to Fidelis' chief investment officer, Andrew McCaffrey. Andrew, thank you very much for joining me. Do you think the Fed made the right call this week? What they did, and what I think is very interesting, is that um, we continue to see signs that uh, the Federal Reserve are having some difficult conversations now, um, are starting to see some of their narrative around the transitory nature of uh, inflation be challenged, You know, showing signs that they're aware of that. But don't forget at the end of the day, we're talking about two dots um, moving uh, uh, for uh, you know, some of the members um, who actually will be changing before um, we get to that point. Of course, these projections do not represent a committee decision or plan, and no one knows with any certainty where the economy will be a couple of years from now. Well, Mr. Powell made the point that it wasn't a vote. Um, these were individual members' views. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the, uh, like a committee taking a, a decision at that point. Yes, and I think it is an important um, point because uh, you know it highlights that what they're thinking, rather than what are the actions to flow, and the fact that uh, yes, it sort of disturbs some of that um, very benign uh, environment that we had seen around expectations for rates and uh, the policy setting. But it is we're still talking about 2023, and we are currently in the middle of 2021, um, and there's a lot more information learning to to be seen. What it does say is that, you know, as um, uh, we have touched on in uh, uh, other uh, conversations, is that, uh, you know, small signs of where they're moving, at least at the margin, to th- rethink the policy um, uh, around not just speed, but also some of the elements within that, as we saw with the rolling back of a very small credit facility. It was, in, you know, it was an important first sign and that now at least they are talking about tapering as to when is still very much an open question. Because again, that that phrase you've just said, they're talking about talking about tapering. Previously, he said um, something like, "We're not even thinking about thinking about um, uh, tapering." You can think of this meeting that we had as the talking about talking about meeting, if if you like. And and I now suggest that we retire that term, which is which has served its purpose well, I think. I said in the introduction, it's a wild and wonderful world, but these nuances, you, you really do have to pay attention, don't you? Yes, you do. And I think that um, you know, this is one of the part where I- I'm not deviating from what I think is a real um, uh, risk, is that the policy mistake potential around this is quite substantial. Um, and I don't think that anything that they've just done has taken that away. In fact, uh, you know, all it's done is highlight that they're trying to navigate um, you know, this pathway between obviously what we've seen in terms of the fiscal policy input, the monetary policy settings that we've seen to date, the signs of the economy, you know, going through really quite, you know, resurgence um, in the, the US, but bringing with it these other pressures that they have said will pass. And yet clearly there are signs that they may not pass as easily and quickly as they, they thought. So again, does it take away some of the uh, you know, underpinning of some of that very sort of comfortable, benign environment. And, that, and I think that's one of the issues that we've got economic volatility coming ahead. 
Um, and you know now with the policy settings are going to be moving maybe to accommodate that or, or just you know, sadly uh, have to react to it and that's going to be challenging for the, the market at some point. To summarise, the, the, the Fed's got quite a balancing act um, to do. It's, it's got these perfect, perfectly benign conditions that you were talking about. Um, markets are sky high. The economy has got um, a lot of rocky ground ahead. What do you think the next big signal will be that um, when you know you might begin to see an actual change in, in conditions? Will it be something like the Jackson Hole meeting um, that's coming up in, in August? So I think this will definitely um, you know, concentrate uh, the expectations around that there will be something to set the tone for when do they take back um, you know, some of the, uh, the large quantitative easing um, they have in place. And so uh, you know, that will be very much a focal point. Again, there will be interesting is, is laying out the uh, the timing profile for this um, because clearly at the core is still this desire to ensure that they get employment momentum really accelerating and that they address some of the key constituents within uh, employment in the broader economy and those at the, the lower uh, socioeconomic um, and that uh, you know they've uh, spoken about and some minority groups that they've um, specifically referenced. Against that, obviously, they've sort of downplayed inflation, the average inflation targeting, very much an opportunity to buy um, time and keep that policy settings as they are. But again, that if you see not just the rate change, but then the maintenance and um, a degree of not just the higher nominal rate, but actually still signs that there is actually um, uh, you know increasing momentum for that in inflation, then they're going to have this di- dilemma. And I think the the real dilemma is that they don't want to move policy aggressively. They want to keep accommodation very much in place. So what does it mean for investors? Um, and by that, I mean, how are, how are markets reacting to this? Because um, despite the, you know, the surprise um, that I mentioned of this change in tone, you didn't see a massive sell off in, um, in, in equity markets. No, um, you, you didn't. And I think that, um, you know, they're Got one eye on the uh, the bond markets. Um, they're also, I think, being uh, you know driven by the fact that we still have the momentum around earnings, and also not forgetting uh, the virus vaccine input as well. But there's a horizon that um, uh, you know we now have to focus on. In that, is that horizon brought forward? And I think the markets, um, you know, have shown small signs of uh, of uncertainty. You know, and they are small signs so far. My point would be that. Um, you know, we've seen uh, the markets be remarkably um, active below the surface. So even though we've had absolute levels, uh, you know, generally been pretty benign and, and you know, markets have continued to, to move high, it's been getting you know, somewhat more turgid, should we say, in terms of that, um, uh, you know, not seeing the sort of you know, strong um, uh, fall through. But you have continued to see this movement below the surface in terms of sectors of the, um, uh, the markets. Can we explore that a little bit more then? So you're saying that the, the overall market um, levels, if you look at the S&P or something like that, um, that's, uh, that stayed pretty static. But within that, the winners and the losers, um, there's, a, there's a change in the, uh, in the casting list there. Yes, it is. And I think it's interesting. You know, we had obviously the, the flow through of really um, classifying it as a value trade, but it was actually, you know, you've seen elements of uh, the cyclical um, benefits from, you know, the flow through in terms of commodity pricing and that playing back into uh, different parts of the, the equity market. Interestingly, uh, that with bond markets calming down, as we'd seen during uh, uh, Q2, that uh, you've seen you know, a significant comeback in tech, the sort of quality part of, um, of 
of technology, the long duration um, type of assets um, bouncing back as as you saw that calming down. Um, and I think you know, the challenge as we look forward is that one, how bond markets respond to this and to uh, you know, the interest rate implications and at the moment flattening the curve and so taking some of that. So there's a, there's a slight implication this is going to take off um, uh, you know, some growth there. But the challenge now is that you know, do we see those inflation signs actually increasing? Because then what will be still happening is that the market will wonder whether the Fed is talking a little bit more uh, you know, aggressively but actually is still way behind the curve in terms of what's happening in the real economy and what's happening with inflation. And and do they need to get on top of that sooner rather than later? Okay, well, how are you then, in the light of all of that information and the the analysis, how are you steering Fidelity's um, investment team? Because last month when we last spoke, the allocation was positive on equities, neutral on credit. And um, there was a move taking cash to a more neutral position. Have any of those views changed in light of what we've just been talking about? So I think the thing that um, most probably gets put back on the table is the degree that the markets are going to now be thinking about tapering. And the reality is that that will be aligned to you know growth coming off and a hope that um, uh, inflation will be uh, contained. I think the challenge really comes around that duration profile as we go through Q3, depending on how the inflation data and some of this underlying uh, dynamics that we've seen within our own analyst surveys of the the micro factors that seem to be continuing to um, to pick up and suggest that actually there is some real traction to this, that it may not be as transitory as uh, hoped. And therefore, you may see more signs of that um, flowing through. If you do, I think the, the challenge now is to consider what is our duration position going forward. Um, you know, markets are basically yields went up a bit and they came back down. But when you look forward, if you start to see that actually again the conversation is around what to do, but the actions are limited and yet the real economic data shows that actually we are starting to see these things get traction and flow through, I think the markets will have to start to respond to that. And that means that you know you'll start to see bond yields actually um, take notice of it um, you know, quickly and start to rise uh, again. In terms of the risk profile, in some ways, it's the, uh, you know, the, the part for the equity markets is, again, that, that rotational influence. Does it then you know, start to um, undermine some of that recovery in the long duration, um, you know, technology-based, high-quality um, recovery that we'd seen um, in more recent weeks? These are elements, I think, in some ways, have to take your guide from you know what we see in terms of the of the, the data in in some in some ways almost put aside the words because if if the fed says um you know we're going to start tapering tomorrow then that's very different i think you equity markets will respond you know and bond markets most probably actually are somewhat supported in terms of the yield curve will flatten um, further and long end will be uh, underpinned a little little from that but again, if they if they talk about it and the, and the data starts to come through as we think it may well do, then you'll start to see the market saying the risk that we thought of a policy mistake is actually back on the table quite firmly. And you said you think it might. When do you think that um, the, the data may come through and support that argument? So I, I think this is quite actually quite an interesting part for Q3 because you know most of the expectations are that 
you know, we've had the base effect. That starts to uh, ease and influence. And then you start to see the rate of change that we've seen that's been so dynamic really start to come off and, um, you know, give hopes for that transitory process to, to be, you know, correct. If it doesn't, and when I think in this, the risk as we look into August, September, um, and possibly, you know, actually the data for, for June, funny enough, um, as you think about that um, sequence in, in July, that, um, uh, you know, the markets will start to uh, uh, take that on board. So what it may be is that, you know, as we look into Q3, it's the summer coming, it's the digesting the data, it's listening to Jackson Hole. But as we get towards the latter part of Q3, if it's not coming off, and as, as I said, you know, it's really looking to that inflation um, profile combined, interestingly enough, that if you are seeing signs that growth is starting to show signs that it's past peak, then the markets are going to start to think that they're losing some of the the earnings tailwind, and they've got this inflation problem actually is starting to look more real than not. And finally, let's talk about growth, because um, there are still some pretty um, ambitious forecasts for growth around the world. Um, Again, bouncing back from last year, but um, what about the damage that's been done to economies around the world? Obviously, a big part of the the repositioning has been just the amount of stimulus and the fact it has been maintained, Um, especially when we look to to the West. And uh, uh, US is a lead in that, but also what's happening in UK and in Europe. Now it does come down a great deal to the follow through into the opening up, you know, more broadly, allowing some of the other sectors that have um, been challenged to, to be able to create um, you know, new growth and the dynamics for, for growth. What I think at a global level, though, is interesting is the fact that China, for some time now, has seen its credit impulse, not just top, which occurred in Q4 of last year, but actually start to, to go quite quickly downwards and even get into to negative territory. So that has a lead towards activity um, that will flow through in the months ahead. And so I, I sort of feel at a global level, you may already have seen peak growth. Now, the dynamics in that are very different between US and that sort of reopening and Europe and UK and like. But uh, for China, um, I think their focus beyond uh, the uh, Communist Party 100th um, uh, anniversary is to continue the process of deleveraging um, and you know a policy position that is very much um, you know focused on how do they have the financial economy and system work for the real economy and I think that's a that's a very different influence to what we see obviously in what we've discussed um, you know for the West at the moment. It's about 180 degrees um, different, isn't it? It's the, it, the it is. Um, it is. Uh, they're tightening. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it has a very different. Um, influence onto you know some of our thinking around asset allocation you know that how you can get some of the diversification benefits from china from asia because of that policy setting difference um uh, and how that will impact uh, for uh, you know the real diversification benefit across the world but to your point on growth i think what it says is that you know growth is is not all of a sudden you know going to fall off the um uh, edge of a cliff as it appears today with all the, the stimulus profile what is important, though, is that some of the dynamics, such as in the US around these latest builds and the latest sort of stimulus um, uh, plans, is that you know they are important to get through to maintain that because you're not getting the same level of global um, support that maybe you had looking back a few months ago. 
So it's certainly not going to carry on the way it is at the moment. And you've given us some indications there of the, the way that uh, it may well turn from, uh, from now on. As always, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. We're out of time. Thank you for listening at home. If you'd like to read any more about any of the topics that Andrew has covered today, please go to fidelityinternational.com. And you can listen to plenty more on both of our Fidelity Answers and Rich Pickings podcast channels. The producer is Seb morton Clark with technical production from Alex Wilcox. From all of us at Fidelity International, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about.